0: Hello everyone, and welcome to episode six of the One The Only The PDH Pod, a Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the popper commander format. I am your host, Brad Drack V, and this time around, we've got a huge table, so I'll start with my co-host from the East Coast. First up, Alcadron Dave Vader. How are you doing this evening?
1: I'm doing great. I am too hot. I'm ready for winter, but otherwise... Did you get
0: some of my heat? <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't... Can you take it back? Like I'm, no,
0: no, no, I'm done with it.
1: Okay, but you live in Missouri, so I feel like this is unfair. Like... <laughs> I didn't. I didn't sign up for this.
0: No, I feel like I never do, but we always get it. Uh, next up and fresh out of finals is the pdh PhD Liam, how are you going? And welcome back to the show.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm doing all right this week. So I had to miss last week. I did have a couple finals for some summer classes, uh, but jokes on you, Brad. Is new summer classes started Uh-oh. yesterday? So, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's life.
0: Oops. Well, I hope the, uh hope the school's treating you well. I don't know how you uh, managed to juggle such a schedule. I would not be able to pull it off.
2: School is is treating me well so far. Uh, I managed to juggle it with
0: my youth. Oh, there you go. I definitely, you definitely have that on me. <laughs> There's no joke about that. All right, and then last but not least, this is a special episode, so please help me welcome our very first guest to the show. They are a pillar of the Popper Commander format, a Commons only master chef, if you will, and some have even called them a format father figure. It is. Papa Popper Ryan Roberts, how are you doing this evening? And welcome to the show.
3: Hey, thanks for having me. Howdy, everyone. Yeah, doing great today. Really stoked to be here. I've been uh, uh, watching with bated breath every new release of uh, episodes that you all have, and really enjoying uh, the insights into the format, card evaluation, all that. It's been been awesome watching this uh, this channel grow.
0: Well, appreciate that. Yeah, you were definitely one of the the first pdh i guess community members we reached out to i think even before we recorded the very first episode we were like okay you know as this thing gets rolling we want to have a list of people we would like to get on the show and and boom here you are about six weeks later
3: no i'm flattered and super happy to be here uh you know i'm glad to be among friends and uh and fellow experts in 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 the format we got this is uh, quite quite the dream team you got going on here
0: yeah yeah we try we try so far so good. Yeah, basically, we wanted to have you on um, sort of an expert's point of view. Like last week, Dave and I went over the basics of what some quote unquote format staples look like when you're comparing them to regular EDH versus PDH. So we're going to kind of take the flip side of that. We're going to go, we're going to take that same philosophy, but we're going to put it towards 60 card competitive pauper uh, versus PDH versus pauper commander. I think you are especially skilled at being able to identify new cards, you know, will they fit here? Will they fit there? What sort of archetypes, that sort of thing, just because, you know, as I've gotten to know you over the last year and a half or so through Discord, you're very prolific in PDH, and it actually took me a while before I knew that you're almost as prolific in in regular Pauper, too, you know, building your community, hitting tournaments, getting the scene started, all all that sort of stuff, too. So it should be a pretty good episode. I think we went pretty deep last time, and then we'll just kind of see what we can come up with this time so I, I do want to start off. Many of our listeners may not be familiar with with who the Papa Popper is. So uh, if you don't mind, give them a little bit of a background, your background in PDH, what sort of brought you to the format, and then I, I know I got the the name wrong, but you're part of a de- deck co- uh, submission committee, something like that. I yeah. know I totally messed that up. But
3: it's the Popper Commander uh, competitive Popper Commander deck database. Um, there we go. And yeah, I am a, I am one of the one of five committee members for for that yeah so my uh background just starting magic in general um i kind of began when my uh french exchange student gifted me a whole box of invasion and uh i really clearly remember the eternity of opening up packs and i managed to snag all of the legendary dragons uh from that like derogaz was kind of my favorite And got pretty hooked. Had some friends who were really smart, uh, really smart people who uh, were playing. And um, (laughs) kind of first deck I built was a burn deck built around Form of the Dragon, um, which is an awful card. Uh, But uh, (laughs) for a burn deck particularly, given that it's a seven drop. But you can't die, kind of. So that's cool. (laughs) And yeah, so what, what, what really solidified it, though, was that my uncle... Uh gave me his collection of draft shaft from the very beginning gave me an enormous quantity of old cards and so yeah that was that was a really lucky and fortuitous entry into magic and ending at about fifth dawn, um I took a break uh between then, largely spending my time playing video games instead, but returned back to magic as my desire for more social interaction in my gaming uh, became, uh, more pressing and, and wanted to actually enjoy games with people face to face. And so I came back to magic around Kaladesh, took a shot at standard, took a shot at modern and largely found them just to be, uh, atrociously expensive. Um, and kind of yep. got burnt out <laughs> yeah. on, on that. And that really directly led into starting kind of the nascent popper community here in Bellingham, Washington, where I live at, uh, what is formerly called Dark Tower Games. Uh, now it's going to be Aegis Games. They're going through a bit of a rebranding. Uh, I just watched a video from the professor on uh, Is It Blitz? Yeah. Realized I had all of the cards, except for, I think, Ponders and Preordains, just in my collection. And I uh, was able to build that. And then quickly found that I actually had enough to build like five decks. So assembled those. And that was really the beginning of the battle box. Um so, ever since then, I've been really deep into popper, uh, but only in the paper right. scene. I've done a little bit of MTGO, um, but largely found it to be a pretty unsatisfactory experience. As you'll yeah, be the, no doubt that, unsurprised to hear, Brad. Yeah, the
0: the clients definitely not for everybody. Yeah,
3: not everybody enjoys playing on an Excel spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> but uh, but hey, you know, um, I I love the popper format in in particularly in paper, and this local community here has grown to to actually we're running we were mid pandemic running the largest uh, regular magic the gathering events in all of Bellingham for about uh, a year straight. Uh we had like 36 people coming in on average uh, every Monday and then on Fridays we uh more recently began to host uh what we call popper after dark, which is our popper commander specific evening. Uh, kind of uh, themed around like old speakeasy vibe. We've got these tables nice. with little headlamps that would go over the top of them that only project light on the table. We turn the lights off. There's glow lights in the along the edges of the the room, so it's it's a really cool vibe. And uh, that one we were getting attendance of you know about 15 people on average uh, every week. So yeah, and and really the Popper Commander thing started mid pandemic. We were getting really bored of running tournaments over Zoom. But to adapt to the pandemic, we started running these these tournaments. And ironically, people were joining us from all over the world for these cash tournaments where the winnings would go to the charity of the winner's choice. We eventually, after 56 weeks straight of of doing tournaments every week through the pandemic, we got bored. <laughs> <laughs> and they say that... Yeah, uh, I can imagine. I'm sure somebody at some point has said, boredom is the mother of invention. I know I'm butchering that. Uh, I, I do know it's necessity as the mother of invention. But uh, yeah, we we uh, decided we wanted to play multiplayer, and one of us introduced Popper Commander, and I don't remember who it was. But we started with a couple of decks. Somebody had Mist Meadow Witch. I had Slimefoot the Stowaway. These will be very, I'm sure, very familiar in uh, a casual mm-hmm. from the casual standpoint. And it really just kind of took off and everybody started building them and it got really exciting. Joined the PDH home base and found a huge community of people playing there and kind of immediately sunk my teeth into Crackling Drake, Witherbloom Apprentice, and Murmuring Mystic, which are probably the three CPDH decks that I'm uh, most well known for. Um,
0: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah. So that's kind of the story of how I got into Magic, Popper, and then PDH. Um, yeah, I'll
0: kind of rolled into one. I didn't realize you were, I don't want to say new to PDH, but I guess just the way you present yourself with the format, the decks you create, the sort of community that you've put yourself in. It just, it feels like you've been around the format for forever. You know, you just have that sort of wealth about you, I guess. No,
3: thank you. Well, you know, there's people that have been playing a lot longer than I have. And a lot of them, uh, there's, you know, posts going sure. back, you know, what I, I'll, do you know exactly how long, Pdh has been around for. Does anyone here is that? I, I
1: started right around the beginning of it, and that was 2013-ish. Right
3: around. Uh... So nine years. Yeah, yeah going
1: yeah. back. Uh, yeah,
3: yeah. So th- the original am... Theros. <laughs> I am but a baby uh, in comparison to to a lot of folks when it comes I... to that. Uh, however, I, I have I would say, oh yeah, go I have
1: ahead. very fond memories of watching you enter the Pdh home base uh, and like try to do casual a couple times like and then like realized I just watched you like sink into this like casual is not for me and then then wither bloom and crackling break, and then it was off
3: yeah yeah well I think part of that was was just that's that's my 60 card pedigree. Uh, coming yeah. through, um, which is yeah, yeah. Uh, is cutthroat, you know, 60 card. There's never, ever a question about exactly. whether you're supposed to brutalize your opponent yeah, yeah. and take advantage <laughs> of their weaknesses. At the... <laughs> and At the time 100%. you joined, uh,
1: Sniffhound and I were kind of trying to do this like, um, you know, weekly like Pals meta-ish game thing. And you had availability when we were free so we kept on bringing you into those games and like playing super casual like i attack you with howling golem don't block with your four four give me monarch like and, like just watching you like sort of suffer through that and, like guys yeah, i yeah, think i need to change <laughs> like,
4: oh
3: yeah 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 i mean those are fond memories though and i i remember touching base with the pdh pal stream when you went to visit in uh uh man several years ago right or a year year and a half ago maybe um, yeah, super fond memories. The Pals meta, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is which is probably no one, given that you're here, Alk, uh, is the is the best meta. I will say it. You heard it here. Yeah, I uh, agree. Totally. It's it's great. It's so much fun to watch, and it's a really cool way to dive even deeper into like the plethora of interesting cards there are at common, um, because you actually go even beyond the inter- the very powerful interactions of CPDH into interactions that are very powerful if nobody has interaction for them uh Mm -hmm. and that's awesome uh it's really really a good time but yeah i think just because of the 60 card pedigree i've always been kind of a competitive player uh the the cpdh is what eventually kind of hooked me and uh yeah and then started started going at it that way
0: so how did you being so kind of new into the format how did you work your way into this, um, the, the database, the deck submission database Yeah, that I'm never going to be able to say correctly.
3: The, yeah. It's the competitive popper commander. So you could just say CPDH deck database, uh, is, is okay. one way I would say it. Um, yeah. So part of it is that during the pandemic, I, uh, I, I uh, my career was disrupted and I had a lot of time on my hands. I poured that time into things that helped keep me sane uh, and, and part of that was that, you know, my folk, I live with my folks, uh, it's multi-generational living here and keeping them safe from COVID was pretty important. so my social life was yeah. really restricted to just being on discord. Uh, and so, you know, from that, uh, I had a lot of time to dig into the format and made, made some claim to fame, I suppose, on like particularly combo list mid range decks, I would say. Um, okay. and Part of uh, part of that just with that time is I had a lot of time to write primers, um, and
0: uh, <laughs> you are known for your primers. My, yeah, I'll my primers
3: are—I'm are, pretty proud of them. They're they're pretty fun to write. I, I, my mom's an English teacher, so I've got a bit of a leg up there. Uh, but there I, I do have to say that a lot of what what makes my primers look and feel good is what I learned from Yalaran, uh from the PDH home base. Uh also a member of the RC prolific deck builder, combo, extraordinaire, um kind of the the brainchild of Lore Weaver, Layweaver, and uh uh Pure Sight Marrow and um oh Guildmage? hold on, Parcel Beast and Is it Guild Mage? Those are I think some of the decks that yes. they're yes. really well known for.
1: Persight Marrow? Did you say that one already? Right?
3: Pure Sight Marrow, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Um And so, yeah, so his structuring of those using the coding to structure things in a really intuitive way is really one of the things that sets my primers apart from the average. And I just love sharing that with people, showing people how to write nice primers. And so <laughs> yeah the way I got into the the deck database was through the Tryhards. Uh Clay, who's also a member of the RC, has his own server called the Tryhards. They do EDH and PDH content primarily focused around mm-hmm. competitive and he and I became quick friends uh primarily bonding over how to build Crackling Drake, which at the time the discussions for competitive were kind of around do you build it as a flicker deck? Do you build it as a uh as a control deck or do you build it as a Voltron deck? And right. um, and so that's kind of where we connected there, and our correspondence just led to, you know, greater roles and responsibilities in his server. And then when he came around to wanting to build uh, an alternative to the uh, to the tier list run by Crash and Yalaran, uh one that's unranked, just more of a, a sampling of all the different powerful things you can do that's unranked, he invited me to to join in on that. Um, I think mainly on the back of the fact that I'm able to get a lot more games in of CPDH than a lot of people. So I, I, I've got, just because of my paper meta access, It just sure a lot of people yeah, rely on Discord. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yep. That sounds like a pretty seamless process. I know you were, I guess that does make sense what you mentioned about, you know, uh, Discord kind of being your only social outfit, outlet for a while. Because even in like the, the Pauper Guild Discord, it was just, a lot of times it was you... And whoever else was talking, uh, but you were always there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was pretty nice. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah. Discord was a hell of a lifeline.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah. And I think something that I've talked about with my buddy, uh, Bobby, he goes by King Great uh, in the tryhards and also on the home base. Uh, He also plays in my local meta. Something that he talks about quite a bit is that folks that come to PDH and CPDH come from a lot of different angles. But two of the ones that I commonly see is people coming from Popper to Popper Commander, or people coming from EDH to PDH. Mm-hmm. And I think that coming from Popper, my understanding of like powerful cards is different than folks who come at it from an EDH standpoint. Sure. I think that shows in the way that I built decks, it also shows in the way Bobby builds decks, he his claim to fame is building crypt rats which is potentially one of the most cancerous decks to play against. It's so, (laughs) it's so brutal. Um, (laughs) Yeah. You ever seen a man go to 81 life? Um, (laughs) It's, it's crazy. Uh, And, uh, and Crypt Rats is his namesake card. That man puts Crypt Rats in every deck. He's, no no person has brewed around a card more than Greg yeah. and Bobby so okay i'll uh, keep that in mind <laughs> he'd be a, he'd be an interesting <laughs> guy to talk to about this uh but he he talks about that often that, that people come from popper have a different read on what's good um in what kinds of archetypes than uh people who come at it from the edh standpoint so
0: yeah i think that's totally correct because even when, you know on Twitter for example if I'm talking pdH with just a whole thread of people a bunch of commenters you can always tell who like the the edh the true edh players are because they'll mention a card like oh have you ever thought about XYZ card and it's it's always an, an uncommon. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like not a creature, but like a spell or an enchantment. It's like their rarity in their mind just stops at uncommon. Yeah. <laughs> like not doesn't, doesn't go further than that. <laughs>
3: totally, totally. Well, and I've taken the... Uh, I've, I've actually on a couple of occasions gone through every single common and uncommon ever printed. And that's partially because there was a point in time for popper as you will know that the format was divided into paper popper and oh, yeah. uh, mtgo Damn. rules popper and this is uh the dark the dark ages, dark ages. of popper <laughs> this is uh, this is a dark time uh when cards like battle screech dark ritual uh chainers edict some of the most iconic cards ever printed into pdh or sorry into uh popper were were only available online right. and there were stores where you where they would play mtgo rules and there were stores where they would play paper rarity where the rarity the of the pit, card yeah. had to be common so you couldn't play battle screech and then there were also cards in paper that were never printed online a really good example of that is rust which is an instant, one green, uh, it's green, instant counter-target activated ability from an artifact, which is disgusting (laughs) if you're a graveyard deck. If you're playing like Cycling Storm, which is a deck built around Songs of the Damned, Street Wraith effects, and you eventually kill them with uh, Dranith Stinger, that deck with Rust is able to counter everything but Pajukabog that targets graveyards meaningfully. And that's really Gross. strong. So you don't have access to that online, but you have it in paper. But right. you know, we didn't have Chainer's Edict in paper, nor Battle Screech, which were you know cards that, as you know, they define whole decks. Uh, like uh, like mono black uh, devotion decks without Chainer's Edict looks really weird. Battles like like Boros Bully or Boros Rally decks without Battle Screech is not a deck. Um, yep. And so eventually, right. those were unified in a in a big. Push by Watsi, they mimicked the shared legality setup that Mox Boarding House in Seattle uses. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Mox Boarding House in Seattle, for folks folks who don't know, is kind of the storefront for Card Kingdom. They have an amazing store in both Ballard and in downtown Seattle. Uh, And they ran Rags to Riches, which was kind of known to be one of the largest popper events in the U.S.,
0: Oh yeah, it's still talked about.
3: The, yeah, they're huge. They, I don't know that they've gotten back to running events yet, actually. Um I think the tournament that I'm hosting here soon is going to be the first one in our region since the, the, the since the Rona.
0: Since the Rona. Yeah.
3: So uh so anyways, yeah, they basically said uh the, the new rules would be any card printed or released online as a comment at any time is legal in Popper, And that was unification was what it was called. So-
0: Yep, that was huge.
3: Yeah. And so because of that, I had to look through every card. Uh, cards like Merchant Scroll were legal in paper, but not legal yeah. online. <laughs> and you had better imagine that card was broken in Yeah, how wild in paper. That? I mean, people, when they were playing um, a Tireless Tribe combo, which uses the card mm-hmm. Tireless Tribe, it's one white for a one-one. You can discard a card to give plus zero, plus four. You inside out it, switch its power toughness, make it unblockable, kill somebody with one shot by discarding your hand with a gush. Um, And that deck, when you could tutor up your circular logic for your counterspell you could tutor up your 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 inside out it was really disgusting lost to that at rags to riches all the time <laughs> yeah
0: yeah that yeah that deck i think was probably the biggest deck that got hit by the gush banning oh, one of the biggest for sure yeah
3: i mean it was gush days and gataxian probe were all cards of that, yeah. that deck played <laughs> and they all went out on blue was a blue tuesday is that what they call it monday. blue monday blue monday blue monday yeah Yep. Yeah, they also simultaneously killed my favorite deck, which was Kiln Fiend. Is it Blitz? Uh, <laughs> d- died in a Ball of Fire.
0: Well, yeah, we've kind of sort of touched on specific cards here and there in the different formats. You know, if you're wearing kind of both hats, your Popper hat and your PDH hat, and we get some new cards entering the system, downshifts, or a brand new set, or what have you, how do you go about evaluating these new cards? Sort of as a as a general rule, not necessarily card by card. Like, are you... Are you sitting down thinking, okay, I need popper 60-card de- popper cards? Are you sitting down thinking you need PDH cards? Or is it just sort of like just kind of pick your brain about how you see a card and how you
3: evaluate it? I'm going to pick both. Okay. One of the coolest things, if I can make a pitch for PDH and sure. popper, is that spoiler season is incredibly exciting. I mean... If, and, and I don't even play the other formats, really. Um, I've dabbled in Legacy, but, and, I, and I will have a Tolerant Sky Summoner deck that is literally just Angry Birds with Murmuring Mystic, but switching out Airborne <laughs> Aid for something else and then just putting in Tolerant. Um, nice. That will be a deck that I do at some point. <laughs> but it, it's so exciting when the vast majority of cards that are released in every set are, ha, have huge potential. The playing of Popper means that a lot of the cards that are released aren't actually going to be useful. There might be between, you know, three and seven new cards every set that we'll see play in in Popper. Um, yeah. I think that's about right. It, you know, fluctuates a little bit, but generally speaking, the power level of Popper is extraordinarily high. Like the deck that I used to be really obsessed with was just Rakdos Reanimator. Exume into Ulamog's Crusher on turn one, off of Dark Rituals and <laughs> Lotus Petals is like uh-huh. is is like the strongest feeling thing I can possibly imagine in Magic. <laughs> it feels <Yeah>. so cool. <laughs> uh, and so based on that power level, you really have to push past cards like Ponder, Brainstorm, Preordain, Exume, Dark Ritual, like the Monarch cards, Counter Spell, Spell Stutter, Sprites, Snuff Out, Bolt, Cast Down. I mean, the cards, I mean, and then if you're an Infect, like you literally play the same deck but without even nexus. nexus. So so for any new card to be coming into Popper, it takes a pretty high bar. That is not so for PDH. And it's not because it's not powerful, but because as a singleton format, you're always looking for replicate effects. You're looking for what's the next one mana, instant speed, three damage to target creature effect. You know, you're looking for like like fiery impulse, frostbite, even strangle is probably uh, an option uh, because it does hit planeswalkers too, which is a whole other conversation. But for me, that's relevant. (laughs) Right, strangle is definitely a staple right now. We choose that over flame slash because of that effect. Um, Demon bolt. You know, you've got so many different things where in there's going to be cards that are going to be really exciting for popper, and then there are going to be cards that are really exciting for uh for pdh i think more recently those cards have started to cross over a good example of this would be boarding party and annoyed altasaur which are some of my favorite commons ever printed for those of you unfamiliar they're six and seven mana they're really big and they cascade that's kind of all you need to know they're red and green (laughs) they're real big they're real big uh boarding party is a six three haste altasaur is a six five trample both have cascade they kind of go in the same decks. Altasaur does yeah, have reach. reach, which is uh, pretty game-ending uh, against certain decks. It didn't need that to be good, but it has it. And and those cards were good examples of cards that were great in 60 card, but really didn't have a place in CPDH, I'll say specifically. I'm sure in PDH, it was all-stars, right? Like their value, they're big, they're Timmy, you know, big Dino, big Pirate, slap them up. I mean, these seem like uh, pals about yeah, staples, yeah. Am, am I wrong? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean these are great cards (laughs) and uh but you know we're starting to see particularly as i've been pushing towards uh mid-range decks without combos in them that those cards actually start to look a lot better in that context they're recouping value uh by cascading so you're going to get something from it um or at least you're going to trade up on resources with a player with two counter spells um and they slap hard which in mr orfeo is disgusting uh um, yeah, that's brutal and mr orfeo is a very spooky cpdh deck that i've been oh, working yeah. on uh all you know all the the boarding party and the altist just look great in there and so you're starting to see more of that crossover as the mid-range archetype is explored more in cpdh it's uh largely unexplored i would say um and so those crossovers, you know, are are that's um, one place where I'm able to oh, draw some I... inspiration. One of the I, other places you're going to see. To oh yeah, follow go ahead quickly yeah. on something
1: you said a, a, a moment ago um, about when a new set comes out. You're looking at which of these cards is going to make an impact on the popper scene, which of these cards is going to make an impact on the uh, the CPDH scene. Uh, one of the things that's been very fascinating to me as sets comes out uh, is that I, I got into the, the competitive scene in the competitive PDH scene a little while ago. And something that I find interesting is that sometimes you get a set like Neon Dynasty, which has big implications for the competitive side of PDH and big implications for the casual side of PDH. Like that, that, that was just a, a goldmine for everything. And Sometimes you get sets where it's... Mm-hmm. You only get one of those. Like, Commander Legends Baldur's Gate was huge on the casual side. Like, completely changed all of my casual effects. Initiative is crazy. But it... There oh, was... Yeah. <laughs> But but it had it had there was almost nothing. Yeah. in... Tell me about it. <laughs> uh, in, in terms of comments, <laughs> at least, there was almost nothing in Bulbas Gate for the competitive side of things. Like m- most of my competitive decks changed not at all with the Bulbas Gate release. So like is is that a thing that you see as something between the 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 CPDH yeah. and the sixty card popper scene? Like is there a set that like had a big impact on one but not the other, or is there a set that like? Like, Zendikar, I feel like, had a very minimal impact on PDH. Is that Mm. something that had a huge impact on on Popper? Like, can you imagine a set where it was one but not the other?
3: Yeah, yeah. I think that happens pretty often. Um, A good... Oh, boy. I mean, this is a juicy topic. Like, Commander Legends is on the competitive side a lot of the limits that we're seeing on the power on the impact of commander legends on CPDH is based on the oh, yeah. backgrounds and the common rarity of the yeah, most Candlekeep powerful is, backgrounds. So the fact that the common, Oh, candle keep sage is, is, yeah. is, is, is it's, very broken. Uh, is we should be, we should be clear <laughs> about that. Uh, the, the, In a non-combo sense, we're talking about divination being attached to your commander every single time it's cast. Now, I'm a mid-range guy. It's what I do. A card that rewards you simply for playing the game and casting the commander that you have and then punishes your opponent for killing your commander... Is, right. Did... is 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 like <laughs> insta staple it, Did you... yeah i mean and, and instant staple oh instant staple and and yet on the flip side that card is a combo card like
2: um and, and on the flip side i mean it's also just even in casual pods it's still a a powerful oh. include let alone from being an instant staple you don't have to be comboing off to get a crap ton of value out of it oh it's yeah
3: i mean there. It's very, very easy to envision games where you draw six cards off of a Candle Keep Sage. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, you can compare it to kind of like the new Ristic Study in some ways, right? We've got a spell that is going to come down early and it's going to generate you an absurd amount of value so over the, the game. On the one hand, it's going to be less. Marsh Crocodile exists
1: and you can just cast Marsh Crocodile and bounce itself to your hand and then cast it again. Yeah. Like, that's a thing you can just loop. Oh. On the. <laughs> <laughs> right well, on the other hand i, I, like, I outside of candle keep I, I feel sh- like Baldur's gate was very i really didn't
3: think about that like,
1: we got no new counter spells like compared to like on the right on the heels of um neon dynasty like neon yeah. dynasty gave us a new two-mana counter spell no new counters. protocol it gave us tamio safekeeping it gave us it gave us brand new combo lines with careful cultivation like Yep, yep. Neon Dynasty worked the face of the competitive scene. And like outside of Candlekeep, Baldur's Gate yep. was very low impact on the competitive scene. So like,
4: yeah, what
1: what, what sets are doing this, but with it did. PDH versus Popper?
3: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if we look at Commander Legends, Baldur's Gate, I think that there are a couple of standout cards that make their way into CPDH. Um, they are... Um, I think the biggest thing I would name is the adventure cards are exceptional. We're just an insane addition to the format. Um, the adventure cards with Sword Coast Serpent in particular, is is it's just a... I'm playing it in a lot of decks right now. It's very good. Goggles of Night is another great example. We've got all the backgrounds. All the initiative cards are good. We got Blur, which is a new uh flicker effect that draws a card. Yeah, I'm
0: a big fan of blur for sure.
3: There's a lot of cards here that strike me as very powerful for popper and very powerful for casual pdh. But I wouldn't say that it that we are without good cards for cpdh. Uh, some examples would also be chain devil which is the new four mana, four two, it's Slum Reaper. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, each player is gonna sacrifice a non-token creature. Uh, this card just absolutely hoses Murmuring Mystic if it resolves. It, um, it punishes decks like Night vale Predator that use Rotten Reunion to protect its commander from edicts um, by creating two twos instant speed. Um, Armor of Shadows granting indestructible for one mana at instant speed um we have all of the um invoker cards which actually are being integrated into some really interesting deck building that i'm seeing in my local meta where if you have infinite mana you can activate these things infinite times and they become a way to combo off while also just Mm -hmm. being a value engine uh they're combo list cards in a sense where there is an outlet but they also do something reasonable on their own right i but but again like Uh, oh miracle's edict is another one uh that's the two mana roll a d6 or roll a d20 either somebody sacks a creature or each player sacks a creature or each player sacks their biggest creature and nefarious imp so i I actually think on cpdh line for Baldur's gate the impact is yet to be seen because people are really excited about the people are very distracted by the presence uh, the discussion around the rarity of the, of the backgrounds. I think for one thing, it's a very distracting conversation because it's frustrating in some ways. And, uh, frustrating in many ways. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and I should clarify that in my local meta, we allow all commons, uh, and we allow all common backgrounds, all common planes or all uncommon planes, walkers as well in the CZ. Um, Ooh, yeah, spicy. Yeah. Um, but other, you know, there's, there's actually a lot of cards here that just haven't seen integration yet. Like Nefarious Imp, this card is broken. Uh, two in a black, two one flying. Whatever one or more permanents you control leaves the battlefield. Scry one. This is Viscerous here, but without having to be the sack outlet. Um, it's flying. Yeah. It's in black, meaning it carries a cradial plating like a boss uh and it triggers off of blood tokens and treasure tokens which is disgusting if you go yeah
0: it's not just creatures yeah anything
3: so you crack a treasure scry one uh use the treasure to pay for the blood crack the blood scry one draw your card you can go three (laughs) cards deep with that uh and it was manaless um so this card is gross um we also got merit so a lot of the benefits of this set were actually on decks that have yet to see Inclusion on tier lists and on the database. So it was really big for Mr. Orfeo. It was really big for Mayhem Devil. It was really big for any Rakdos or Black X deck. The inclusion of not just one, but two good Black initiative cards. Um, And for those of you unfamiliar, initiative is insane. Um, And don't even get me started on 60 card. Initiative is in the right deck. It's better than Monarch by a whole hell of a lot. Yeah. We got Breath Weapon, the new two mana sweeper, Zentorum Bandit. There's, I, I actually think that Commander of Legends Baldur's Gate was actually pretty huge for CPDH, but it's just there's a lag time on when these cards see play because they're not cards that go into combo decks. And I think a lot of people gravitate towards those decks when they come into the format. But sets okay, that, that did a lot for PDH, I think this set was also really big too. Um, Breath Weapon is a really interesting new addition because decks that wanted to be able to kill all the fairies and and specifically the Crimson Fleet Commodore could not do it with Fiery Cannonade. And now Breath Weapon does.
1: <laughs> Did you transition to 60-card popper?
3: Yeah, this is for 60-card okay, okay. popper. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yep. I, I I just kind of uh, smooth-brained my way into, the, into that segue. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting stuff here for popper as well. Ingenious Artillerist is a big one for both pdh cpdh and popper whenever one or more artifacts enter the battlefield you do damage to everybody on a three drop body this is a staple in rakdos burn decks in popper uh in 60 card popper ones that were playing reckless Fireweaver before are also playing this now triggering off of blood tokens and and things of that nature
0: well there are so many um balder's gate commons that were just not either not available on MTGO or Extremely li- Limited because they put them in treasure chests or whatever oh. they do. That They actually put out an announcement today that they're adding three dozen Commander Legend commons to MTGO. And it actually said that uh, there's 38 of them exactly. And they said that any anybody that played a pauper league pretty much any time... In 2022 is going to get two of each of these cards. Wow! Like that's how bad. The, that's how bad the the uh, popper community wanted these cards in their hands.
3: Well, I mean, this is a really interesting segue into and mo- most
0: of it's the most of a lot of them are the are the gates. Yeah, the gates. Um, things like that.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of people brewing around the gates and Guardian of the Guild Pact right now yep. <laughs> um because th- that's a deck in of itself usually guardian of the guild pact which is a three and a white for a 2 3 protection from mono colored kind of unkillable in a lot of ways um, mm-hmm. uh, that card was a four was was an archetype staple for pestilence decks it allowed you to maintain your yep. pestilence in play while pinging everything down and and chipping them to death. And Pestilence was kind of destroyed in a large part in 60-card popper by the banning of Bonder's Ornament, which allowed it to uh, draw cards when the Tron player was drawing cards, and also to draw cards um, in general with their untapped mana. So the new thing is to use Basilisk Gate and the gates to make your unblockable, unkillable creature Huge. Uh, yeah. And it's very good. Um, I'm actually, I haven't seen anybody do this yet, but um, that's, uh, I guess it's just kind of the, what I like to build. Uh, the initiative cards are insane. I'm very surprised to see how undervalued those cards are in the sort of uh, hive mind of the MTGO popper community. Initiative, I've been playing, let me put it this way. I played initiative wrong for a month <laughs> and I was going 3-0 most of my nights. Initiative yeah. paired with Sword Coast Serpent is disgusting.
0: Yeah, it's wild.
3: Sword Coast Serpent being a spell and a creature means that off Throne of the Dead three, you flip that thing into play as a nine-nine unblockable hexproof, and that's <laughs> and that's if you
0: that's fine. Yeah, it's just
3: it's just like nuts, right? And then in the early game, it's a two mana bounce, which is surprisingly relevant against decks that it's just surprisingly relevant that I can go from thirteen removal spells in my mid range initiative deck to seventeen. And the threats are also just like, they're just card advantage. It's early on, it's bounce later on. It's just a giant threat that ends the game. Um, And so initiative is something where a lot of 60 card players have totally slept on it. I'm actually, I built a deck. I haven't kind of published a whole lot about it yet, but it's called Grixis Dominatrix because it loves the dungeon, specifically the Undercity. And uh, it is a wildfire deck with all the artifact lands. It's got uh, cast downs, chainers Edicts, bolts, galvanic blasts. And then it plays eight initiative cards. It's playing Eric Crockrin Sneak, and it's playing Vicious Battle Rager, uh, Drifter, Brainstorms, because it's the best Brainstorm deck in the format when you're playing Wildfire and Geomancer's Gambit, and you're shuffling three times off of every cycle through the dungeon. Right. And yeah, so, I, and actually, that's a funny segue because the exploration into that is what got me to consider initiative for PDH. And my last games I've played with initiative were disgusting in CPDH. Mayhem Devil flipping Reckless Fireweaver into play, you know, with 3 plus 1 plus 1 counters and Hexproof is not okay. Flipping Falconrath Noble into play as a 5-5 black flying Hexproof creature that dies to like nothing is not okay. Flipping a Chain Devil into play with a Mayhem Devil in play is not okay. So initiative is definitely going to... Uh, is making waves, at least in my deck building. Um Yeah. And then cards like Sword Coast Serpent. We also had a bunch, bunch of amazing rocks. We had Decanter of Endless Water, which yeah, is sure. such an amazing card. The new Thought Vessel. Yeah, uh, But it makes colored mana, which is so relevant. So many decks. And then the other one being um Lantern of Revealing, which is likely to be a cross-format staple between... PDH, CPDH, and Popper, Uh, because I think if I was to guess, and I think I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about this, Brad, I would venture to guess that Tron loves Lantern of Revealing. If those of you who don't recall, Bondra's Ornament was banned in 60-card Popper. It basically ate the bullet for Tron and the Urzalands. Urza's Tower, yeah, yeah. Urza's Mine, Urza's Power Plant, which cumulatively produce seven mana because one plus one plus one equals seven. And Bonner's Ornament allowed that deck to fix its mana ramp and draw cards with its huge mana advantage. Mm-hmm. Lantern of Revealing is almost better than Bonner's Ornament in Tron. Like flipping a Tron land into play at instant speed is not okay.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, I think it's... This is... <laughs>
3: People haven't caught on to it yet, but just mark my words, it does everything that Bonders Ornament does but better for Tron.
0: Yeah, I mean, <sighs> you know, your opponent's your opponent's second main phase, sure you could draw a card off Bonders Ornament if you tapped it but you couldn't play that until next turn if it was your third land yep. or your the, the piece you were missing. This one, like you said, you essentially scry a land into your hand, and oops, look at that. Now oh. I all of a sudden have an extra three mana.
3: Oh, <laughs> would you look at that? It's growth spiral yeah. every yeah. turn, and it's fixing <laughs> right. your mana. But make no mistake, this card is one of the best mana rocks in PDH and in CPDH.
2: And it's, uh, Sorry, if I can interrupt. Go ahead, wrap? yeah, uh, hop on in. I know when we were uh, doing a, a CLB set review, I looked at Lantern and Revealing, and I'm like, "This thing is a sleeper." Um, yeah. I I wasn't sure where it was going to do its thing at, but I can look at it, and you know, you you look at the name Lantern in a card and you assume it's going to do something stupid. Um, yes, right, and confirmed, <laughs> absolutely. And I, you know, and I've I don't play Tron in in sixty code. But I'm looking at that, and it it makes a lot of sense, like you're
3: saying. It's a deeply offensive looking card. People yeah. haven't caught on to it yet. They will. <laughs> um, it will bring Tron back as a real deck because the the Popper Commander rules, uh, not rules committee, but they're the format selection or format panel. Popper format panel is that it? Yeah, PFP. The PFP. Yeah. yeah. So the PFP voted to uh, unban Expedition Map and. Um, it's, it's like awful, so such a mistake. Wild, Yeah, pretty wild. Um, for those of you that don't know, Tron in Popper, uh, in Paper in particular, was an abomination. and yeah, 100%. People would win games one very, very slowly because it's a toolbox deck with every card tutorable in it. Yep. They would win game one very slowly. They'd prison you out of the game. You'd be under the illusion that you could win the game for a long time before you lost. <laughs> and then the person could slow play and never finish game two. And lock you out of the game, but not actually win. Maybe like threaten yeah. to kill you over twenty turns with a mold drifter, right? You know, like it, it was a real bad. It's a bad deck for paper. Yeah. Um, online, it's curtailed by the fact that it uh, there's a chess timer and the chess clock yeah. makes yep. Tron hard to play.
2: And well. pa- Papatron is what modern players wish modern Tron was.
3: Yeah, um, totally.
2: <laughs> because you know, modern players like to complain about their version of Tron and. I You know, looking at, at plays of that, it really doesn't happen until games two and three when that deck just kind of sets its lock because it yes. requires the sideboard to get the right hate pieces. Yeah. In Papa, it just, because the format is naturally so slow and grindy, it has that ability to just run everything hate in the main 60. And oh, yeah. It doesn't need sideboard to win. so it.
3: Oh, yeah. You've got decks where there's like, uh, you know, you've got your your cap size yeah. to lock the table out. You've got <laughs> Agony Warped for the, you know, that you can reuse over and over for the guild for the um uh what is it the Guardian of the Guild Pact. You have your one of Suffocating Fumes for bird tokens. You have your one of cast down, you have your one of a braid. You have like, you know, and you just reuse these spells until the opponent vomits and passes out. Um, yeah, and, yeah, until
0: they just walk away from the yeah, table. Yeah,
3: until you walk away from the table. It's awful. So um, so <laughs> in terms of card evaluation, that will be one that I think will make a, a big impact. Um, now, Alcadron, you were kind of asking about what sets had that split, right? Where you've got cards that were good in popper but like maybe not amazing for CPDH or for PDH. That, that specifically um, is what
1: I'm really curious about. Cause like I, in in my mind, I mean, I guess you've you talked about Baldur's Gate a lot, but in, in my mind, Baldur's Gate was a set that was like really good or not, not very good for, for CPDH. I think yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was, I was, it felt like the kind mm-hmm. of thing that was going to mm-hmm. have a big impact on Popper. So I'm wondering if there's anything else that like has, you know, a big impact on CPDH and not a big impact on Popper. Like did how how was how was Neon Dynasty received in the sixty card popper community?
3: Uh so Neon Dynasty brought us. It uh, was wasn't that s- really. Neo, Neo is the code yeah. yeah.
0: There was two maybe three cards we everybody was calling for a day zero moon circuit hacker ban yeah never ended up going anywhere
3: people got really freaked out by moon circuit hacker because i think a lot of people have like trauma from like losing to fairies yeah Um, and And it just so
0: happened like it just so happened that 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 card was getting spoiled right when mono blue was like everywhere for some reason well it was that card got spoiled it
3: was uh, the mono blue deck for uh, just to give a, a recap on it is your Ninja of the Deep Hours. Or so actually we should start from the beginning. It's a fairies deck. Um it should not be a Delver deck. I'm gonna make that hot take. There's a lot of people no, playing it, Delver it, in that deck, and it's awful in that context. No, you should be
0: fairies and ninjas. <laughs>
3: fairies and ninjas are where we wanna be. The fairies all have ETB value, they've got evasions, so they're great for ninjutsu. You ninja in ninja of the deep hours, which draws cards when it connects, or the newly printed with Neon Dynasty um Moon Circuit Hacker. Moon Circuit Hacker is an amazing addition to the archetype. It's probably better than, I, th- I think it's a bit better than than uh than its kind of predecessor with uh, Ninja of the Deep Hours because it allows you to go turn one fairy uh, scry two, you know, and then turn two play another island Ninjitsu in your Moon Circuit Hacker and then hold up Spell Pierce or uh, dispel, yep. and that's what's really. Uh, so much better about it because a lot of these fairies decks are kind of praying that you don't sorcery speed your removal or that you don't kill their ninja when they ninja on turn two. And that is kind of, that's not how I like to play magic. That sounds really scary. Uh, Every time I play fairies (laughs) and I go turn two ninja of the deep hour and they kill my ninja, I'm kind of going to lose the game, you know? And the ability to go turn one fairy into ninja with protection is... Is very good. It's very, very it's, yeah. Good. It's huge. It's yeah. the next level of turn ninja. three. You go, you know, ninja in your You go cast your fairy, or you go with counter spell backup, or you go ninja the deep hours on your, on your um, moon snare product. Or, or sorry, not moon snare, but the uh, moon circuit hacker, so that you can actually draw a card, and you've still got to spell up. Um, there's just, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of gross play patterns. So that was a card that was hyped uh, pretty hard. It's very good. It's great for the deck. It did not break the deck. It just made it better at what it should have been doing all along, which is playing a tempo game, not a control game. Right. Um, so yeah. People
0: were super freaked out about it when they it was were. spoiled.
3: Yeah. I think um, there there were a lot of other, in my mind, CPDH powerhouses
1: from Neon Dynasty. Like, uh, did did Tommyo's safekeeping make waves in the sixty card
3: community? No, Tamio safekeeping a, does very not. little bit. Yeah, the the you could you could potentially play it in a deck where the pump from uh, snakeskin veil doesn't ooh. matter, and you just want to gain the life. Yeah. Or yeah. it could also see play in a deck that wants to protect its permanence because notably, yeah. Tamio safekeeping is a great card. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I could wax yeah. poetic about this card protecting permanence. That's amazing. It's so good, and it's not just it just it, it, it's it's hexproof and indestructible. Like, wow. Uh, right. <laughs> and, and... <sighs> it but like, I didn't even yeah. really see play in Stompy, Sh- Sh- maybe West in the sideboard, hard. but... I mean, it just... yeah, you'd rather play Snakeskin Veil um, in those decks, yeah. and someday, mark my words, Blossoming Defense will be downshifted. Um, so, okay, but in terms of Neon Dynasty, I will say that there that... were some cards from Neon Dynasty that fundamentally broke Popper. Okay. Experimental Synthesizer. Wow, is this card wow disgusting? Um, I played again a game against my girlfriend with experimental synthesizer and drew six cards, Mm -hmm. bouncing it with Glint Hawk and Core Mm -hmm. Skyfisher. Um, the uh, the last one of my favorite decks right now, or it was,
0: I guess, before this new meta.
3: (laughs) It's it's a the card is is the one of the most powerful sources of card advantage ever printed on a common. I, I mean, it like and the fact that it also. Like, okay, let's just imagine this card just said one red. When it enters the leaves of the battlefield, exile the top card of your library. You can play this card until end of your turn. And it didn't say two and a red, sack it, make a 2-2 yeah. Vigilance Warrior Token. <laughs> <With> vid- <laughs> like, uh, it would be really insane. This card would still be making waves. But the fact of the matter is, is like Rakdos, Burn Dex, and Popper now have a card that not only produces a threat but it also generates repeat card advantage while also triggering Ingenious Artillerist and also triggering Reckless Fireweaver. Um, mm-hmm. It's very strong. It plays lands off the top too because it's play the card, not cast it uh experimental synthesizer is insane
0: <laughs> that boros deck you were talking about yeah. it runs some Some of the decks run Kaldotha rebirth with it oh
3: yeah there's a n-
0: you know sacrifice it to get goblins you can do with makeshift munitions sacrifice it ping somebody draw a card oh, you know it's yeah. look wild at, look it's at this deck wild.
3: think about think about this goblins is a deck that largely fell off because of the sweepers fiery cannonade and breath weapon right ended the career of goblins. And at one point, goblins was <laughs> one of the best popper decks in the format. And the reason was that this was actually back when um, combat damage went on the stack. Uh, there were cards like Mog Fanatic could deal combat damage mm-hmm. and then sacrifice to ping things. Mm-hmm. And in a format full of elves and fairies, it was just amazing. But that was kind of its high point. And ever since then, it's struggled. And this is a deck that's playing uh, Mog, Co- uh, Mog- uh I always get them backward. Goblin conscripts. Cohort and Co-Hort. Mog Conscripts is yeah, are the one mana, it. two two uh creatures that can't attack unless you've uh successfully uh cast a spell this turn. Right. <laughs> uh, I, that, that, that's errated to just cast. Um and then they would play uh goblin bushwhacker and goblin grenade. And it was like it had like lightning bolt, chain lightning, you know, a lot you know, bolt, and it had all these threats that uh, could come out like valley dasher Mudwarch um Mudwart brawler i want to say mud something uh, which is these are just 22s with for 2 with haste uh, and that deck now with experimental synthesizer plays the same goblin strategy it plays foundry street denizen it's playing goblin bushwhacker bushwhacker
0: is huge it's yep.
3: huge um, you're you're playing uh mogwar marshal and then you're playing Coldotha Rebirth alongside Experimental Synthesizer and Great Furnace in your mana base. And then the the one other way you get the artifacts is with Voldar and Epicure. You can sacrifice yeah. the blood token for Koldotha Rebirth. And if you've ever seen somebody go Coldotha Rebirth with a Foundry Street Denizen into a reckless bushwhacker, <laughs> it's so un it's so it's so cool. It's so it 's yeah, a lot of damage.
0: Yeah, that's a ton of damage. And that's yeah, card advantage. Even the Boros decks were running um... Uh, bushwhacker for a while in the yeah. boros decks
3: yeah it's great uh, this card will also at some point probably be seen in some sort of like a boros mid-range maybe initiative or monarch deck where they play foundry helix which you know will be a colorless red yep. white sack an artifact is a sack an artifact or a creature as an additional cost yeah and then you deal yeah, for I'll, I'll
0: that but i'm pretty sure yeah.
3: It's like lightning helix, but a it's lot like, worse. If you
0: if you sacrificed <laughs> an artifact this way, you gain four life.
3: Yes. Oh, so you don't have oh, so you do have to sacrifice something, but you don't uh gain the life. Yeah, sac- it's a it's a,
0: it just says sacrifice a permanent A permanent. And da- yep. Oh. And if an artifact was sacrificed this way, you gain four life.
3: Yeah. So that sounds great. Like a mid range control deck loves to have targeted removal that also enables its value engines that also gains it life to stabilize. So there's another place we haven't seen a home yet, but it, it making huge waves. Um, so that's a good one. Uh, some of the other cards that haven't seen widespread play, but that I think are going to see fringe play, are the emergence cards. Uh, we have crackling Ooh, emergence. I love a good Zendikon. Yeah. yeah, Zendicons Going back to win Zendicon and uh, some of those other ones where you're essentially enchanting a land and making it into a creature. If that land is indestructible because it's a bridge, then the creature is indestructible. <laughs> so you get my drift. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, so Crackling Emergence is great. Um, those Emergence cards might see play in some sort of like a uh, combo deck, but you could also just play them in a Wildfire deck. Cleansing Wildfire, yeah. targeting your own bridges that are also creatures that are drawing you cards and in- indestructible is disgusting in a format where everything destroys and very little bounces. Another one I think that's a really big deal is uh the modern age. And this one actually took a long time to sink into the 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 online psyche around cards. Yeah, it really
0: did. I was surprised.
3: Yeah, I was kind of on this one like a bloodhound from the very beginning because I love reanimator and I've been trying to build a non-raktos reanimator deck for a long time. It just didn't it wasn't in the books, it wasn't in the cards. It was too slow. Uh, it wanted to play Removal to slow down your opponent, but if it did, then it brought the threats back with Exhume. It was just really awkward. Like, wanted to be a right. Delver deck, but it wasn't <laughs> fast, and it didn't want to play counter spells because it was reanimating Striped Riverwinders. Oh. It was just awkward. Esper Reanimator is very much a real deck because of Modern Age. The fact that it's triggering twice, uh, it's one and a blue for a Saga, and it, it loots twice, and then it turns into a 2-3 Flyer. A 2-3 Flyer blocks... Everything that flies in Popper, <laughs> yeah, it blocks every fairy. Yeah. It blocks every ninja on the ground. It blocks, blocks Squadron Hawks. It blocks Glint Hawks. It blocks Core Skyfisher. It blocks yep. Battle Screech tokens. It's great. And it also doesn't come down as a creature right away. So it, it just generates a lot of advantage. So that was a big deal. And I think those were kind of some of the more Highly impacted. There are people brewing around Kami of Industry.
0: Yeah, that one saw a little bit I of play. That, yeah, yeah. I know uh, Reckoner's Bargain really boosted Affinity okay. quite a bit.
3: That's that's <laughs> an important one to talk about. Reckoner's Bargain, uh, one in a black instant speed, is an additional cost to casting the spell, sacrifice a creature or an artifact, gain life equal to its CMC, and draw two cards. The reason that was such a huge deal is that uh, <laughs> Affinity traditionally had kind of a bad burn matchup. And mm-hmm. now Affinity can loop Mirror Enforcer, gaining seven life every time, and then bring it back with Blood Blood Fountain.
0: Yeah. And while drawing cards. While drawing cards. Yeah. It's and it's And gaining seven.
3: Uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> it, and in fact, like Affinity, y- y'all should probably know, we're going to timestamp this on the 12th of July, 2022. Affinity is still broken after four ban cycles. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It, ab- it absolutely is. They banned. everybody's <laughs> distracted because of all the new shiny cards you got, but Affinity is still busted.
3: It's it's still busted. I, there I think there's a lot of we ought to be really considering whether the uh whether the untapped artifact lands were ever okay in the first place. Um yeah. but uh, not to go to un- into that, but um yeah, Reckoner's Bargain was massive.
2: Well, I I'm just coming from the standpoint with Affinity is is I was I was always on the train that people complaining about Affinity just don't know how to play against it until i went and judged scg con last october <laughs> whoa and, cool and brad you might be, remember this i was i was pretty active oh, on yeah. twitter that whole weekend and you know people were like what's the metagame look like what's the breakdown and artifacts. easily two th- i mean yeah, was, artifacts, was, was was artifacts. The metagame, but easily two thirds of the meta was affinity the the issue is no two affinity decks looked the same and i'm not yeah, even saying yeah. like they had like three yeah. or four cards like, no like like the colors yeah. were different
4: yeah. entirely yeah.
2: you could be playing any color combo you wanted as long as you were playing either black or red and the decks that were playing both were insane
3: yeah and, and that doesn't even you know like you can also play grixis with no problem yeah uh you can also play blue black if you want the, the, um, yeah
2: there are no <laughs> land issues outside of green so it's just no. i i can't like and affinity is one of my favorite strategies
3: it's and a cool deck.
2: Before yeah. that weekend, and I just I can't like I just can't fathom and like you said, after four ban cycles, how are people. Yeah, so to they lost uh
3: Prophetic Prism, A Tog, Disciple of the Vault. Yeah. Uh, and then they banned what was the last one? Uh Am I I'm missing something here about what was banned? Uh I mean and maybe it was just those three cards.
2: Yeah, because they hit Bombers ornament in the same in the Bonder's same. Ornament. So, there might have been
3: one other that I'm missing. Um But the deck has largely replaced ATOG with makeshift munitions, uh, which is in some ways a lot scarier, uh, because if they at any point resolve that during the game, that is their win condition. They will kill you with it, and they'll kill everything you've got with it uh, while drawing cards. Now, another card that made a big, uh, or not a big, but some impact is Mirror Shell Crab. It's not widely played in Popper, I would say, but Mirror Shell Crab being able to stifle abilities is relevant in matchups where it's it's relevant in certain contexts um in cascade decks where you actually want this to be a counterspell it's actually better that you don't cascade into it so the mana cost is really relevant being seven mana meant that you wouldn't cascade into it with boarding party or altasaur right but it was a counterspell in your hand and then you could just play it as a threat for seven and win the game with it. So that was one place that it saw play. And then uh, Network Terminal is another card. Uh, This is one of my favorite cards in Popper Commander And uh, right now. This is probably another card that... This is a card that sees play in the combo versions of Tron. Um, The combo versions of Tron are Fangren Marauder decks with lots of rocks, and they crack the rocks, and they gain lots of life, and they make lots of mana, and they draw tons of cards. And Network Terminal being able to tap... Like chromatic spheres to loot terminals in the past, but kind of so this this card wild. has made
1: huge waves in the PDH yeah.
2: community. I was I Oh
3: yeah. Dude.
2: I was I was originally so off this card, but I don't I couldn't even tell you why.
3: It's so good. It's um so this good. is it's one just... of my favorite mana rocks in the whole format right now. Yeah. Uh it it's insane. Yeah. Go
0: ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, you know, now that we're kind of talking about specific cards and how they play out in the formats. What are some, like for you specifically, Ryan, like when you're looking at a deck or you want to build a deck or you're looking at your collection or whatever, what are some cards that come to your head where you're like, well, I need five of those because I need four for my popper deck and one for my oh. PDH deck. No question about it. What, <laughs> what are some of those like crossover giants? Oh boy.
3: Um, well, the funny thing is when I go into the shop on a new set release, um, I do get some... Compensation from the shop in exchange for my time, yep. a little bit of store credit, <laughs> and I will come in and usually buy twelve of a card I need, um, because <laughs> because my my battle box is uh, uh, okay. 40, 40 decks. I have forty popper decks, um, and they all need to be kept updated and maintained. And so cards yeah. like <laughs> that's
0: that's rough, yeah. <laughs> Deadly
3: Deadly Dispute was one of those oh cards that was very hard. I used a lot of store credit uh, to update that. There were, yeah, Deadly Dispute was one of them because it went in the Boros Burn deck, or sorry, the um, Ractos Burn deck. It Burn, went in Affinity. Affinity. It. There's other homes for it too. Um, it, it particularly the Deadly Dispute actually fed a deck that doesn't see as much play as it should, which is the uh, Mogwarts combo. Um, Yeah. Mogwarts for those... That one actually
0: just um, did really well, I think, in Papageddon, Italy. I I feel like it it just won a big tournament recently, but I can't remember which one.
3: That surprises me not at all. The deck, when I play against it, is so scary. Uh, It's first day of class, Putrid Goblin, you're putting counters on things that enter the battlefield, future goblin. If you sacrifice it, gets a minus one, minus one counter, you get the plus one, plus one, cancels itself out. You get infinite LTBs, ETBs. And if you're sacking it with a Skirk Prospector, you get infinite red. So that combo in Popper is insane because you get great tutors to find it. Like uh, he, he gets you get uh, Goblin Matron, and you also, which can find almost every part of the combo, you can also get shred memory um to find the uh first day of class uh deadly dispute meant that they just threw artifact lands in their deck and now they have another way of drawing cards uh mm-hmm. that doesn't yeah. lose them life uh like the other one did which was Night's whisper people played Night's whisper and now it's like they just play a card that's just every way better right
0: yeah better uh, yeah right.
3: and uh so that was a huge gain for it um yeah so that's one of those cards that really just like hit home hard a card that doesn't do that but is worth mentioning for popper is okiba reckoner raid uh this is the one mana black saga first two triggers no, are you you loses the rogue, one, yeah. you gain one and then it makes a two-two creatures, menace. And <laughs> creatures you control have really menace good. and then it has menace um and it's a it, vehicles yeah sorry vehicles you control have menace yeah v- It would be even better than it already is. Um, This deck is, it's really good because the decks that care about rogues are actually burn decks. And so they're using like prowl cards, particularly morsel theft with this. So this is great. It's burning them. It's insulating your life total. And then it eventually makes an evasive threat that's also a rogue. So uh, this card made a splash, not a big one because black rogue burn is not like, it's not an excellent deck. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good deck. Um, yeah, it's more fun than good, I think. Yeah, it's it's fun. It does powerful things. I mean, it's important to say, but um, but it's <laughs> it's not it's not uh, over the top busted. Um, a card that I think could make waves from Neon Dynasty would be Sky Swimmer Koi as a combo card. Um, this one's three and a blue, three three flying. Uh, this one is CPDH and uh-huh. PDH playable as well. So uh-huh. I guess this one doesn't really fit into that. But it draws cards every time an artifact enters the battlefield. It loots. Spirited Companion probably goes in every casual pdh deck ever in white right yeah the goodest sure. boy
0: the, the best boy yeah
3: but i think it's also a big include for popper because it was you know white now having good draw is kind of really good so yeah there are examples of that um we haven't seen it yet but tron could be built around thundersteel colossus uh you know crewing for two uh, with I would a love Mold to Drifter. See that yeah yeah that would yep. be really cool yeah so there are there's i think every set becomes exciting because there is that dynamic of like wow like which of these formats that i play gets the juice and a lot of times it's all of them yeah but notably popper is the one that usually gets the least of the insane cards because the power level is already so high yeah i think um a good example would be gosh, which which set was printed with um Lanawar Visionary and Sarulf's Pacmate? That was Caldheim, right? Caldheim. okay. Well,
1: no, Caldheim Kald, had the Pac-Mate. Visionary was twenty one, right? Oh M22? the
0: Visionary was 21. Yeah, it was, it was a core set. Lana War does yeah, not yeah.
3: exist in Caldheim. Okay. okay. Yeah. Ah, L, L- <laughs> was on Dominaria. That's a Dominaria thing. Yeah, yeah. There you go those are you know Caldheim is an interesting set i think Caldheim gave a lot of good cards to pdh but had like virtually nothing for popper if i recall i mean it's
0: yeah the snow was, duels that was literally it. snow
3: duels were a huge impact uh, that is huge yeah yes. I'm, I'm still coming to terms <sighs> with those yeah right <laughs> they're really good casting snuff out and scred which are the some of the best removal spells in the format while benefiting from those was huge. But other than that, it was like Pac-Mate was, was basically it. But if you looked at, uh, you know, from a PDH standpoint, there's a lot of really cool cards in there. A lot of really good stuff.
2: When looking at uh, competitive PDH or 60 card popper, uh, what's your philosophy when it comes to actually deck building and, and card choice?
3: Between 60 card and PDH? Yeah. I would say in CPDH, I am a bit of a one trick pony. It's all just um, birds. Okay. I understand the concept. It's birds, it's birds all the way down. It's all just birds. birds. <laughs> it's birds forever. Yeah. I, my first love really is for Murmuring Mystic and hashtag Bird Gang, of which Alcadron is our buddy Dave here is was the first uh, inductee into hashtag Bird Gang. Uh, with uh sr kelleth um alongside murmuring mystic
0: we're an esteemed company
1: I, I didn't mean to interrupt but you said one trick pony and i had to make oh yeah yeah joke.
3: no so yeah yeah um, <laughs> sorry please I, continue
1: I one one trick pony i
3: yes yeah i'm just a one trick pony <laughs> just this just, just murmuring mystic um but I, I think part of it is that i i like to build mid-range decks i like to build combo as control decks and mid-range decks Uh, which kind of end up looking really similar except that one has more aggressive creatures in it and the other one doesn't Uh, so a good example would be like the overall outcome of a game with mayhem devil and like what you're trying to do with it in trying to control the board establish a board presence grind value is actually the same as Murmuring Mystic, except that Murmuring Mystic doesn't like need to end the game right away, and Mayhem Devil implies that you're going to end the game very quickly. So uh, Murmuring Mystic doesn't care if it wins quickly or not, because eventually the birds are going to come and get you. One illusion peck at a time, and it's all in your head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're just coming at you. Yeah, they're you.
3: coming. And I, I, and I like these decks because they possum incredibly well. And I think that when you are playing in competitive, the ability to honestly say that most of the time you are not the problem grants you an enormous amount of uh, leeway to enact your game plan. Sure, that's where I tend towards in PDH, is is towards these combo-less mid range decks, and that is different from what I do in Popper. In Popper, I play everything under the sun in. In Popper, I play Kilnfiend decks, uh, which are basically combo decks. I play Reanimator. <laughs> I play mid-range decks like Grixis Dominatrix with the Wildfire uh, grinding value. That way, I'll play like big mana control decks with Wildfire. We'll play token decks. Um, the The archetypes are they're not as easily nailed down in 60 card um, as they are for me in cpdh uh, where you have voltron decks trying to assemble some sort of combat damage win with your commander you have some sort of combo deck you're going to have mid range decks that can transition between pressure and disruption very easily while being able to grind out through a mid and late game and then you've got hard control decks and then aggro decks this is a whole discussion in of itself but aggro decks and mm-hmm. cpdh don't really exist yeah, in 60 card now uh, why yeah.
0: why is that do you think yeah like i i've literally never played any cpdh mm-hmm. but i you know i've always been kind of curious as you know when i look up deck lists or hear you guys talking about it there's literally never just oh here's a bunch of goblins like it's, you know aggro is re- it's because counting to 90 is much harder than counting to that's
3: 50. exactly <laughs> right yeah and and in, okay. in popper if you you know go turn one foundry street denizen uh turn two mog war marshal turn three Kulldotha Rebirth, Sacking Your Great Furnace, and then Reck- Goblin Bushwhacker, you end the game and it doesn't matter how many cards you have. Yeah. doesn't matter that you spent all your cards to like pump out damage all at once to kill somebody because they're dead. Mm-hmm. Um, in right. CPDH, uh, if you spend your cards early trying to kill one player... And because the card quality at common when it comes to creatures, they're just not as good. You don't have Tarmogoyf. You don't have Death Shadow. You don't have like these creatures that are like way above the curve. You just don't have as many of them. Um, And so it's harder to end the game for all three players without just like either fizzling, trying to kill one or killing one. And then the control players just sort of like end your career with uh, (laughs) just like, you know, make your life miserable. So there's really, yeah. there are aggro decks, but there are mid-range decks inherently. They have to have card advantage, they have to have recursion, they have to have well, that makes sense. resilience, and the cards have to replace themselves. Um, yeah, I so. I would
2: say that aggro and CPDH is kind of in the same spot that aggro and just regular EDH was a few years back. It just, it the card quality just doesn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you would agree yeah. with that, Ryan.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and this will change over time. I, yes. I mark my words sure. on this because fire right. design at WotC is pushing a whole new paradigm of mm-hmm. card printing where the cards are being designed to be powerful and fun in draft at common. And we see great examples of this with Jewel Thief, which is redefined oh, what wow. a bear yeah. is, right? Like it's yeah. a three right. mana, <laughs> three, three vigilance trample that gives you a treasure. It's not seeing play in Popper that much, but it's setting a whole new standard. Monastery Swiftspear are getting downshifted. Yep. Uh is a wow. great yep. example of this. With that in mind, there's no reason we couldn't get a goblin guide. There's no reason we couldn't get, you know, a blood artist. Like like the doors are wide open because Watsi wants draft to be fun. This is how they make a lot of their money yep. alongside MTGA and all that. And so that's very promising for aggro because it means we might actually get some really powerful creature threats that could make aggro more viable in cpdh that being said cpdh aggro decks are generally going to either be voltron decks because yep. the un- the difference in power level between an uncommon creature uh-huh. and a common creature is dramatic You've got um like sailor's bane being a seven seven ward four for <laughs> two blue and never gets any more expensive is better than any common creature ever printed. Yeah. Uh, ever. <laughs> yeah. And it's Pansom. so far yeah. above the curve. It's 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 Kappa Cannoneer <laughs> at Uncommon. It's Tarmogoyf, but way better in com, you know in, in uncommon. So Yeah. So that that really that's one of the places where you'll see aggro is in Voltron decks. So it's not that aggro aggressive strategies don't exist. It's that they have to look like a Voltron deck or they have to look kind of like Mr. Orfeo uh, where you're playing you know, aggressive creatures that are resilient to removal, they replace yep. themselves or they recur themselves or they recover value through madness and blood tokens. But ultimately, there's a lot of card advantage in the deck. And it looks different from a, an aggro deck in 60 card, where there doesn't really need to be any card advantage because if your opponent's dead, it doesn't matter if you drew cards. It doesn't matter if you're at zero cards and one life if you win the game uh, if, and they're dead. So, mm-hmm. uh, but PDH, you have to be able to take out the other players. And we had a lot of people in our league. I ran a CPDH league in my in my area here last time, and uh, we had a lot of people try out aggro strategies with, you know, like Rograk, Kedis-type stuff, mm-hmm. and it was tragic. It just it doesn't work. This just doesn't work. Yep, I, uh, so what I'm I, hearing
0: is white weenies will never be a competitive <laughs> deck. Well, well, which one was this? <laughs> white weenies.
3: White weenies. Yeah. Uh, there is one deck that could do it. Help me with the name here. What was that new card? Um that uh, whatever tokens come into play, you scry. If there's another token comes into play, you draw for each turn, and it's mono-white. Rumor Gatherer. This is a very interesting card. Somebody ought to be taking this on uh, because using something uh, like Recruit the Worthy or...
1: Pump the brakes just a second. Isn't Rumor Gatherer mostly just a lot worse than Mentor of the Meek?
3: Oh. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. We just got Mentor of the Meek. Yeah. Um, Yeah, no, 100% uh rumor gatherer does have good the talk. benefit of triggering on your opponent's turns uh so if you oh, like rally ra- the peasants raise the alarm you raise or sorry uh yeah raise the alarm good catch and um yep. and also recruit the worthy and other token generators there i i don't know if this deck right. would be the deck that i would choose to take to a tournament because it's just not going to be very dynamic unfortunately white has bad removal in popper unlike yeah, other formats, someday we should uh, you know, there was a moment there in time where swords to plowshares should have been legal in popper based on it should have there a little
0: window. <laughs> there
3: was a window. That's a whole nother topic in of itself. but um uh-huh. but uh, that would be a great downshift uh, to give popper decks uh, in white, especially in popper commander, some form of good removal. So now, in so in sixty card, there are staples that we always build around when I'm building a deck. Um, and those cards are kind of immutable because they are legacy cards, you know, like we're and legacy as in not the format, but they're cards that came from earlier history. We've got ponder, mm-hmm. brainstorm, and preordain. And these cards are, right. are are so not okay in other formats. Um <laughs> like that, you know, you've got like Bosch and Roll and his t-shirt that says Island Ponder Go because that combination of cards, those two cards, is a keepable hand uh, when you can yeah. look at three more cards and shuffle if you don't like it. So uh, we have those cards, so a lot of times you're going to see those in play, and they'll be you know the, the basis of decks. I, I look at deck building in 60 card and in CPDH in terms of actually what's called the pattern language, and this is a concept that um, actually comes from permaculture. For folks that are familiar with the term, permaculture is like the study of how to create permanent civilization through agricultural practices and social practices. And they talk about the pattern language as a way of organizing things that go together in patterns that once you start to understand how it goes, it becomes kind of like a language that you can read. And I apply that to deck building because there are cards that go together in an ecosystem with friends. So if you're in black and you're doing artifact things, you probably want cranial plating. And if you want cranial plating, you probably want a lot of mana rocks. And if you're playing a lot of mana rocks, then suddenly it's like, you know, you can play like a grindy mid-range game with the value that they generate and playing a big mana control deck, right? And so those things start to interlock in a way in which the sum of the parts, based on the sort of cards that are present that are really good, start to guide your deck building in predictable patterns. Um, so like mayhem devil and mr orfeo are almost the same deck in a lot of ways they both play blood and treasure tokens they both play mid-range black aggressive evasive recursive value generating threats that don't die to bolt and they don't die to snuff out ghastly demise and vendetta or doom blade or seal of doom and so there's these patterns that come out over and over and over again and Replicating those patterns once you've identified them is something that I do a lot when I'm building decks. Okay. Um, yeah, so we see a lot of that in Popper too. Galvanic Blast going along with the bridges, going along with the Deadly Disputes and the Reckoner's Bargains, and then, oh, I like Artifacts, so suddenly it's Blood Fountain, and Blood Fountain wants me to play Creatures, and oh, I'm casting all these spells, so I might as well play Gurmag Angler. You know, like, it, oh it, it implies itself. There's, there's answers to the deck-building questions that imply themselves from the very get-go. Okay, yeah. so when
2: you're talking Very about well this said. pattern language, would you say that's helping you to identify the archetypes that work well in a 60-card pop-up?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think so. The, a good example would be the new, um, the new initiative cards. I found when I was playing initiative in my four-color, and it sounds like a meme, but I called it Dank Jund, um, mm-hmm. and it was a four-color wildfire <laughs> deck. Okay. Um and wildfire decks kinda wanna be four colors anyway, so that's a whole another topic. But the when I played Monarch in that deck, what I noticed was that um was that multiples of the monarch kinda sucked because they don't stack, they don't do anything for each other. You kinda wanna sandbag them. Yeah. So the card is almost like not a card in your hand until your opponent plays monarch or gets it back from you. And when initiative came out, it was like, Oh, this is exactly what my deck is doing, because I've got a, you know, a couple of very hard hitting hard to kill threats in the wildfire archetype that we can ramp into that that work well there so that applying that pattern language to that deck uh, after playing that deck for a year straight you know, varieties of, of wildfire cascade. Mm -hmm. It was like there, I, I had a lot of data to work with from about what was working and what wasn't. And, and so the initiative cards were like instant, instantly started playing with them. And then once I had four of them in the deck and I saw what they did and the fact that they stacked, it was like, oh, I want, between eight and ten of these in the deck, actually.
2: <laughs> well, so my question is, why did you wait for the initiative, and why didn't you uh, mess around with no. something like the uh, venturing into the dungeon mechanic?
3: Yeah, venturing into the dungeon inner was was not attached to any good cards. Okay. And 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 I think that uh, specifically for I think sixty cards, we had
0: card, like secret door, and that was about and it. And
3: secret door is uh uncommon, right?
0: No, it's common, but it, o- it only saw a play in the walls deck that could make just
3: oh secret door one blue zero four. Venture into the dungeon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was actually a good card. And that was really good for uh, Sphinx Summoner. Very good card for that deck. Um, as a tutorable win condition and a blocker and an artifact and all that. Um But (laughs) in Popper in Popper Venture into the Dungeon, just yeah, it just wasn't attached to anything good aside from the walls deck, which did that. But the the walls walls deck deck largely (laughs) wanted to do other things as well. So like the walls deck has other ways of winning that don't involve the secret door secret, yeah,
0: secret door is like a plan secret it is win con secret sure.
3: door also doesn't activate at instant speed, which is a problem yeah. because if your opponent goes to kill it once you activate it, you don't get to do it anymore. Uh, if it's instant speed and you can just like sink all your mana into it, then you win the game anyways, and the removal didn't matter. They had to have a counter spell, so there's that element, so yeah, venturing into the dungeon wasn't really worth in that case, okay. However, I think in casual, I'm sure venturing into the dungeon was good. CPDH, no splash at all, except for, no, I, I honestly can't say <laughs> I can't say venturing into the dungeon was good at all uh, okay. prior to the initiative. Um,
2: well, so then when you're taking this pattern language and, and trying to identify your various archetypes for 60 card, how does that change when you go to PDH and you go to that 100 card uh, singleton format? Because when you yeah. look at when you look at things like uh, let's use tribal as an example, you know in sixty card you have both uh, tribal slivers, you have tribal elves, mm-hmm. and you have uh, tribal fairies. Yeah. But when you get to hundred card singleton, you know elves tend to still be pretty good because elves mm-hmm. uh, slivers yep. tend to still elf be, things. Yeah, <laughs> elf things. Slivers tend to be pretty good. A little lackluster in PDH just because we don't have the the density at Papa that uh, other formats do, but they're still, still pretty decent. But then you get to fairies and you're like, Oh, there's five. Uh, so how does, how does <laughs> yeah, that f- five language that, that recognition change when you, when you change formats?
3: Yeah. I, that's a really cool question because the, Um, the, the pattern language has more, the answers are way clearer in 60 card, uh, because the best cards are way more obvious. Galvanic blast is just like the best burn spell in the whole format. And it's probably one of the best kill spells. You know, you're looking at these, like in 60 cards, your best cards are often are, are like, you know, are, are pretty hard to, to overcome in terms of like printing something better that wouldn't just be like disgustingly broken in every other format. Like if you ever printed something that was better than Galvanic Blast, that would be a big deal. Um and so yeah. <laughs> so you've got a legacy of cards in 60 card that um where the pattern language has very clear, obvious answers. Bolt and Galvanic Blast, cast down snuff out, Chainer's edict, uh Diabolic Edict, right? Um y- think- you know y- yeah, that kind of stuff. <laughs>
1: if i can briefly interrupt i think yeah go ahead. a huge a huge part of this distinction to me is that uh like liam's question is about you know you, you look at trying to build a, a pdh deck out of fairies and like you run out of good fairies after five and a huge part of this is that five fairies is plenty for a, a 60 card deck because that's 20 cards if you want them
0: yeah, because yeah. 5 equals 20. 20 points. cards out of
1: your 60 is huge. That's an enormous chunk of your deck. Yes. 5 cards out of 100 yeah. is nothing. And, like, it's the same with, you know, the Galvanic Blast, the Lightning Bolts, like, the 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 edicts. Like, being able to run 4 of these in a 60-card deck gives you yep. a, just a foundation. Whereas, you know, you try to...
3: That's a really good point. I mean, if you just look at a deck that plays Cast Down... Bolt and Galvanic Blast. That's twelve cards out of your yeah. sixty of the non-lands. And if you say most decks average twenty lands, then you're saying that twelve of the forty cards that's, are taken for automatically, decks. like right off the bat. There's auto include cards. That's a third of the deck. Yeah, and you're totally right. the The fact that you have to find analogs to everything in PDH changes that equation a lot. And so, um, so I think that in in PDH, when you're when you when I'm building decks. And this is something that I'm very much still in the process of learning. This is a constant learning process, um, but it's something that I'm really excited to continue exploring and talking about and uh, navigating. Is is coming up with these packages that kind of want to go in decks, and then building decks with those things. Um, you, you know, you've got like your combo packages, but then in terms of non combo packages, something that I work on a lot is blood treasures and cranial plating that's a pattern language right there and it implies a whole series of cards that are always going to be black creatures that either draw a card have evasion on them come back from the graveyard uh, or or offer some repeat value like draugr recruiter maybe that gets creatures Mm -hmm. back every time and those cards want to go alongside ceremonial knife and they want to go alongside you know, your your prying blade and your gold vein pick, and they want to go alongside Galvanic Blast and Reckoners Bargain and Lead Dispute. And oh now I'm sacking artifacts. So now I want to have Vicar Wellspring. And I also want to have Mana Rocks that also draw me cards. And oh they loot. So suddenly you're thinking madness because uh blood tokens are an amazing way to trigger madness, right? Like uh and, and you can see how that cascade happens there from one thing to the next where the answer is implied for the cards that you want to take based on the mm-hmm. colors you're in and the cards that you have for that package. Um, so that I, that is something I, I'd be really excited to see other people exploring um, all over Popper is what are these pattern languages and how do we not codify them so much, but like continue to evolve our understanding of what cards really want to go well together um, and what as, as, a, as an ease of deck building kind of a thing. I think that's a really kind of uh, exciting exciting line of inquiry. You can do the same thing with combos to a degree. You know, you've got your sure. your um your banishing knack uh, let's see, you've got your 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 banishing knack type combos with retraction helix, and that implies a certain retraction set of helix, cards, yeah. right? Like you're implying a certain set mm-hmm. of cards like Battered Golem, Steelfin Whale, Mir and Spy. And then your payoffs are going to be either Cabal Paladin if you're in black, Sometimes. or you're going to be Reckless Fireweaver Impact Tremors, Wily Roastmaster, Ingenious Artillerist, right?
1: There's, uh, there's, there's another flavor of that combo as well. Well,
3: and the beauty of Banishing Knack and Retraction Helix is that they're also just removal spells. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, like, that, <laughs> like that's so perfect. I
1: think Weirdly, I think some of the best Knack decks in CPDH do not run the artifact lines with mm. Golem. I think, that, I think that two of the best knack decks in the format Interesting. are Parcel Beast and Side Mero, whose goal is yes. to put knack on a creature that with an untap ability and then try to resolve a high tide or get, you know, a, a, what is it, the Civic Grow Chamber or whatever, the, these Karu double mana lands. Like you get one of those or a high tide, and then you, you start knacking your own Peregrine Drake or you knack your own Cloud of Fairies. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a completely separate knack line from the put knack on the battered doll and start looking yeah. uh of Lotus Petal or whatever.
3: Right, right. And I guess what's interesting about those combos and about these things is that when you you know like when you build those decks out with either an Ashnod's altar, a flicker combo, uh, Freed from the reel, Persist, Knack, these combos all imply themselves, right? You just kind of like look for all the cards that flicker, or you look for all the cards that have uh, you know, replicate or you know for a payoff or you look for something that says each in the text um those those kinds of things and so for combo we have a, a pretty good understanding of what those are you know um for what the enablers are what the payoffs are uh you know, that sort of stuff what what i think specifically um i'm talking about is the mid-range control type stuff where it's not a combo so much as it is North, just a very synergistic value uh, what what sixty cards oh, going to I think there's go. a lot of exciting. Out of yeah. out of the yeah. four hundred yeah.
1: cards you could use to put together a very good mayhem, oh, God. <laughs> which
3: sixty are correct? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is uh, right. Don't the put, don't put that, that evil on us. Don't the put sixty that evil. populate <laughs> when
2: you <laughs> it's the sixty that populate when you sort Scryfall by EDA track yeah
3: <laughs> that, that's an impossible one to answer right uh mayhem devil for for what it's worth is uh to this day the very hardest magic deck i've ever built in in any format ever um yeah I, like i don't know what i, was, I don't know what to do <laughs> no <laughs> like, Di-
1: disciple disciple combo lines are equally challenging to try and figure out like oh. you're looking at this and you're like oh here's the 37 different things i could do and the 400 different cards that i could use to make any combination mm-hmm. of those things happen which yes. which 12 are correct and you're like okay so
3: yeah which which ones uh, yeah. do i want to play uh, you know another another good example that would be like right. saheeli <laughs> i think yes, like your yes, the yes, two yes. hardest decks in the in the format to build are mayhem devil and uh and disciple of deceit uh but uh, lest we not mention that Sahili yeah. also has just like a yeah, metric yeah. crap ton no, of possible cards for those of you that yes. play with planeswalkers that card is, I, hard, that deck once, is hard to build
1: <laughs> i once said you yeah know, i was, I I was talking so. with someone and my boyfriend was nearby with an earshot and i mentioned that he had a saheeli deck and he's like no 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 no. i have five halves of the Sahili deck and i don't know which two go together <laughs>
3: <laughs> I was like,
1: okay, that's, that's fair. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, valid. absolutely. That
3: sounds about right. Well, we have people in our league right now doing something really gross with Sahili, which oh. is that they actually have multiple versions of the deck purchased, and then when they sit down for their yep. pod they can play it as a combo deck yep, or they yep, can yep. play it as a mid-range deck and they do not have to disclose <laughs> which they're doing which is super rude. Um, you could do the that same kind of <laughs> Yeah, you could do the same thing with uh, Ashiok uh as well. You could just have a flicker deck that has a stacks piece in the command zone or you could build it as a mid-range blue black fairies deck um or blue black ninjas kind of a thing um or just a hard control deck, right? Uh there's so many ways to do it. Um, and so uh, Mayhem Devil has that same thing. I just haven't figured out exactly what the deck looks like if it's not doing what mine is doing. <laughs> uh, I'm, right, I'm experiencing exactly. a little bit
1: with uh, Is It Guildmage these Ooh, days. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah, like, yeah. there's like five different really powerful combo lines you can run in the Guildmage. And jamming all five of them in there is absolutely a mistake. Like You need to have sort of this critical mass of like control and interaction to be able to function as a deck which leaves you room for like two or three of these combo lines and trying to figure out which two or three give you the most consistency and the most reliability while also yeah. leaving you the most room for interaction has been a huge challenge yeah um, so I'm, totally. I'm like experimenting with like I, I have all these like packages set aside for like if i want to play the arcane version i'll add these cards and i'll cut these other cards and like it's a whole science it's very interesting yeah, though
3: absolutely
0: Yeah. yeah it really is and it's it, it really it's is. on such a smaller
1: scale than the Mayhem Devil thing though because it's I mean it really is like me changing out like maybe 10 <laughs> cards at most and leaving the rest of the interaction package like untouched but like yeah Mayhem Devil's that but like much 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 broader broader in scale
3: Mayhem right. Devil uh, was nicely tuned I took a I took a razor and I my buddy and I play tested it extensively and we cut it down to the marrow only the finest cards could go in Mayhem. <laughs> and then Baldur's Gate came out uh, and put 15 new right. cards in my hand. I <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can't say I'm unhappy about it yeah. because Merit yep. is a very broken card in that deck. Um, and nefar- Nefarious sure. Imp and just everything is just so good. Uh, but I will say that it uh, made updating my deck database uh, entry really really hard and i've got to write about it and i've got to justify these cards coming in and out like right uh woe betide me and my free time uh
1: <laughs> what were you gonna say
0: well this ha- so
1: oh, I, I was going to say that we are at about 90 minutes of recording no, right so ahead. far so I, I think that we should probably move in the direction of wrapping things up but there is one I yes. think, hopefully really quick topic that i want to bring up real quick and that is Yep. If we're going to talk about card evaluation between 60 Card Popper and PDH, I think w- this podcast would not be complete if we didn't mention which cards are powerful enough to ban in these formats and how the the ban lists between them have zero overlap.
3: <laughs> yeah, you can play Rhystic Study in... Uh...
2: You can. You shouldn't. But you can. No. <laughs> which is, I think is hilarious. Uh, are we talking cards that are already banned or ones that we want to see banned? They're already banned.
3: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um the popper ban list is is, war- is weird. Um it's, there it's are Christmas. some there are some cards that do not belong on there and there are a lot of cards that do. Um and this is a whole can of worms and a whole follow-up discussion we could wax poetic for another What's 2 that? hours on this. Um <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, maybe it's another episode. Um but that what you that next week? Um I <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, right? Hey, same time, same place. Um, so so yeah, so for for Popper Commander, I think largely the ban list is where it needs to be. Sans two cards. Uh Oubliette and Vanishing. No, not Oubliette. Both are cards that inflict phasing on a creature. Phasing, as people know, means that you do not get your commander back to recast it. This is extraordinarily toxic it skirts around how the game is supposed to be played because phasing over exiling is just having the added and benefit of notably, taking whatever's on it with it. Um, well, and also most notably not ETBs and not LTBs. Yeah. Well, so I'm talking uh, about for just normally casting phasing in a magic game, 60 card. The only reason you'd play Oubliette is because you get the uh, devotion I see, I see. and because the phasing takes right. with it a rancor or it takes with it all sorts of other stuff. It, it, yeah, it takes the equipments and things with it too. So that that's kind of worth sometimes um in a limited mm-hmm. capacity. But in PDH and in EDH where it takes your commander and denies that person access to it for the rest of the game, it's really um it's not how the game is supposed to work.
0: That's not Garfield it's, magic. Yeah.
3: It, yeah, and it it fundamentally it it's fundamentally problematic in a format where the uncommon creatures incentivize you to build around them because they're so a much better way, than commons yep. that your right. decks are built around this thing that if it gets oobly added, your deck doesn't work until you unlock that thing from it. If I'm now playing blue and black, you better well damn bet that I am not going to let you have your commander back. I'm going to counter your return to nature. Right. I'm going to counter everything your debt to the commie. <clears throat> and, uh, and it's going to feel really bad. It feels bad to ban a card from a color that isn't blue, because it doesn't feel like it needs it. Um, but Vanishing and, Fa- and ubliad are those two. Um, on the popper ban list, uh, Prophetic Prism and Bonder's Ornament being on the ban list is an absolute joke. Those cards are the fairest cards I could possibly imagine. Bonder's Ornament gives your opponent cards if they're playing it too. Like, I have been milled out by Tron decks who countered <laughs> the Abrade that I cast on my own Bonder's Ornament so that I didn't mill myself out due to them drawing me cards.
0: They let me have the Monarch,
3: and then they just milled me out with Bonder's Ornament. When I went to stop them, they countered my Ubrade, so I couldn't kill my own Bonner's Ornament. Um, That's wild. It's wild, right? And Bonder's Ornament's perfectly fine card. The issue is not Bonder's Ornament. It's Tron. Urza lands have always been a cancer on most formats they've been in. 1 plus 1 plus 1 does not equal 7. I've been to, been to math, math class at times yeah and it's just it's just awful so i think we could if we if the cards that ought to be on there is bonder's ornament uh it should be taken off um prophetic prism is not the problem with affinity um
4: right this so, this this has turned it's into a much bigger, this is, this is discussion a bigger discussion than, discussion, I, than I intended i think wanna, the, yeah this is the a the quick point i was just trying to make
0: episode part
1: part. Part. the current pdh yeah, yeah. is exactly two yeah. cards it is Ristic study and mr kumara and i think it's fascinating because these cards are actively terrible in 60 card popper. And there's no reason to ban them, and they are just not. Not only are they not banned, they just don't yeah. see any play ever. So that's yeah, that gives you a very interesting insight into card evaluation. From
0: yeah.
1: from the other side, if we're looking at you know Gitaxian Probe, Gush, what
3: yeah, else? It does, it does. Days. Yeah, that's right. a good
0: point.
1: We're looking at Grape Shot. Grape Shot is banned. Oh, fascinating. So Days. if we're looking at these these cards that are banned in Six uh, Card Popper. Grape popular,
0: Shot. <laughs> grape Shot. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. So oh, we're, yeah.
1: we're slipping back into what should or should the storm, be storm like mechanic should just that's, be banned that's out. That's, so that's later. That's, right that's there. later. The man if we look knows. at if we look I, I at which cards I are banned in <laughs> which I, I Oh yeah, yesterday. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, when you, gotta when write you say this shit. like should these cards be banned? Like, are these are these cards powerful enough to warrant a ban in PDH? The answer is a resounding no. Like, they're all very fair, very balanced. Like, they're, they're still strong cards. You'll see them in competitive games. But they're not gonna break the game.
3: No. Yeah. And right. Yeah. Hilarious. Extremely fair. High Tide is was never legal in Popper. It actually began its life on the ban list. Uh, it it didn't actually. It was never right. actually legal. And ban, and and High Tide is a card that if if it were ever banned in CPDH, I wouldn't have strong feelings about it, but I would understand why. Uh, blue rituals I mean, are no, not okay. I don't um, think it deserves <laughs> a ban
1: in, in PDH. I don't. I, think
3: I don't think it deserves a ban. I, yeah, I agree. I don't, um, I don't. I don't have strong feelings on banning that card. I'm just saying if it were banned, I wouldn't be surprised. So
2: this, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've seen High Tide do things in EDH that I've yet to see yeah. even pale to do in EDH. Yeah. So. I mean, and it, yeah. it
1: does Absolutely. work in EDH. There's a lot of combos that it enables, yeah. but like you have to really work for them like you, yeah. you're opening your, yourself up to interaction like when when you when you open up your combo with a high tide, not you just gave every other blue tech at the table with all of their counter spells twice as much mana to to try and ruin you and now it's a th- it's a three v one yep and like you, you double your mana but yep. you also double all of theirs so like it's a very yes <laughs> right it's a very balanced everybody with
3: one in blue in instead has PDH two <laughs> scene,
1: which yeah. i think is fascinating that's That's the entirety of the point I wanted to make about these bannings, is that
3: there's there's zero
1: overlap between these two. And that should give you some really interesting insights
4: into
3: what (laughs) is
1: very powerful in PDH and what is very powerful in Popper. And the the massive differences between those things.
3: Yep. Absolutely. And one of the places you see people make mistakes is uh, people in Popper coming to PDH. And thinking that they should play all the banned cards, and the banned cards, <laughs> a lot there are there are good banned cards, but a lot of them are actually just not that good. Um, yeah. And when you get when you get, one. I, I see
1: <laughs> a, a huge mistake. I see is people showing up and just putting faithless looting oh, into every God. red deck. And it's like no, <laughs> no, no, no. Like you know, this card isn't banned because it's good generically. Yeah. This card was banned because it does discard things. And you, the rest of your deck is not doing discard things. Like, it's... why is this in your deck?
3: And, and, you know, but here's the thing that's funny is that um, that mistake is shared with Popper players. Popper yeah, players also chronically put a card disadvantage spell in aggro decks and in yeah. control decks. And it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like the one, there's there's two decks where Faithless Looting is very good in Popper, 60 card. And those decks are doing very fair, well, one of them is doing very fair things with with Faithful Suiting. The other one resembles, it resembles Legacy stuff. The first one is Boros Bully, which is put, pitching Prismatic Strands, Rally the Presence, and um, Faithful Sluiting, and uh, Battle Screech into the Graveyard. And so you're basically drawing two cards and then pitching two cards in the graveyard. So it's one mana draw two. That's when Faithful Looting is at its best, right? The other time it's at its best is when it efficiently puts big things in the graveyard to bring back with a reanimation spell. And that's basically it. Like, uh, and and it's just not it's not an insane card. It doesn't warrant inclusion in most red decks. Um, you know, and and uh, a lot of people make that mistake. Um, it's, it's a common is... one. Uh, that is so yeah, yeah. all
1: I wanted to add to the, uh, to the, the, the slow sort of wrap up of yeah. the already very long, uh, 20 minutes. Later. I know, right.
0: <laughs> and we're wrapping up, uh, rip my, ripped life. my life. <laughs> all right.
1: Um, I'm going to pass things over to Brad so he can outro us. What do you think, Brad? Okay. Final thoughts?
0: Well, well, before we get to the outro, oh, I did just want to see if like. no, you're good. I met Ryan, like I said earlier, through the discord, um, and like every week or every couple of days, it seemed like he was posting huge, you know, pictures from your LGS. All these people playing your your local meta had great numbers, great diversity of decks, and all that sort of stuff. And that's one thing I tried to get off the ground here at my local shop before, obviously, the world caught on fire. Mm-hmm. But I just wondering if you know you seem to have maintained that, if not, helped it even grow in the last couple of years. I just wonder if you had any sort of tips, you know, for listeners, any any sort of quick tips about starting a community, fostering, you know, it could be 60 card popper. It could be PDH, either one, you know, working with your shop to promote it. Absolutely.
3: And I'm actually going to give you all a little sneak peek on, um, a manifesto. I will be writing on this or a recipe uh, that I'm going to be writing on this at some point, uh, with the new channel that I'm starting. And, um, I have some great advice from the trenches on how to do this. Um, because I've been at it for seven years now. And I've only missed, I think, six or seven weeks uh, through that time. And mm-hmm. there are some really key things. And, and one of them is Popper offers us the opportunity to build a lot of decks for very cheap, competitive decks. Decks where people are going to feel comfortable playing them and, and that they're not getting shafted by borrowing a deck. Right. 300 bucks is going to get you the tackle box you need uh, to hold the decks. Five decks... Uh, and the sleeves in the boxes for them to build uh, a starter battle box. Do um, just... you guys put your decks in sleeves? Oh, yeah. Well, so the thing oh, is yeah. is that these, these decks are, are... They're very heavily used by a lot of new players, uh, and uh, they sure, get destroyed. Sure. These sleeves... I'm using dragon shields, and they get mauled. Like, yeah. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> mauled. Yeah, um, so, yeah, definitely sleeves. <laughs> I wouldn't have some of these decks if they weren't. Um, and then and that's a really big one that's pretty easy to do the other thing is you need to have a central place a discord is a great place to start uh to for people to communicate a third thing and this is kind of uh if you can manage it is to start building a skill set with free design softwares like canva so that you can make event posters the other thing is just to go in and ask your lgs if they have a time during the week that is unoccupied by an event that you could host popper events in the
0: yeah, I've noticed that you know with the LGS, if if you show them that you mm-hmm. are willing to basically host the event, they'll Absolutely. let you have the room. Mm-hmm. There's no
3: it. reason to not. The other thing is to to make a strong argument for why Popper should be a core part of their store. And the argument there is that Popper is the most inexpensive, most accessible way to play f- pop to play Magic. Uh, and the combination of Popper and Popper Commander. Opens up this whole new world of gameplay with both multiplayer and single player for both competitive and casual on both the sixty card and on the uh, you know on the multiplayer hundred card singleton. And I think that there's a really good argument to make that every store ought to be uh, replicating what we did here in Bellingham as a way to enter people, Absolutely. introduce people to the format. You know, I can, I. It's very hard for me to sell somebody on modern because modern is so right. <laughs> many hundreds or thousands of dollars. But I can sell somebody on a 25 to $75 deck, especially if they can borrow one of my decks. And many people do exactly this. They borrow my decks for several weeks. They win a couple of times, and they use their store credit to buy the exact deck that they borrowed. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and that 's a mm-hmm. really beautiful synergistic way to get people into magic, so that 's really cool. A lot of people too you know who are coming back into magic, they have huge collections and they can build most of the decks they have most of the cards already, so it 's just great that way and This has been so effective in fact that there is a um, a guy i 'm friends with at Wizards of the Coast who actually tells the story of what we did for Popper here at my store to every one of his business clients, uh, store business clients that they manage because it's been so successful um, and it's it's really, really good. Wow. So, but here's the most important thing. And I, I just, I this is maybe a heavier point, but I think it's really important to talk about this is, um, is that one time I was on stream with uh, a major content producer for Magic and he's very aggressive about enforcing his rules, which are community guidelines to ensure that people treat each other with respect, which basically boils down to don't call each other names um, and keep your hands <laughs> off other people. <laughs> and people hate, you know, give him a lot of grief for aggressively banning people who give him money. He said something that stuck with me that's, that was people oftentimes criticize me for aggressively banning people who are my supporters. What they don't realize is all the people that stay in my community because those people are gone and i have had to ban and remove people from my communities all the time and give out warnings all the time and a community is
0: i don't i don't think you can foster a healthy community without doing such
3: every community requires sacrifice um, to maintain and notably it needs that sacrifice for people to feel safe to people to feel comfortable a vast, like a vast number of the people that are in my local meta only play in my local meta because they belong to the LGBTQ plus community. Um, they're trans, they're mm-hmm. non-binary and they just don't feel safe elsewhere. Um, and they come to mind because right. we actively weed our community of people who are unwilling or unable to adapt to our community guidelines.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And it's right. a really, really important thing that as a community leader, you need to be able to embrace is that uh, your community will be bigger and better and and everybody's going to have a much better time if you aggressively enforce those community guidelines uh, because Magic implicitly has a lot of uh, toxicity in it from Magic players coming from nerdy communities that... Um, that have been mm-hmm. had bad things done to them. They've been bullied, and they do that to other people. They gatekeep and they do things like that. And you, right. you have to keep those things out. And by doing so, there's no room. For no, that. there isn't. And and by doing so, the beauty of it is then not only is the format itself accessible and welcoming for new players, but then your community itself is welcoming and inclusive to people of all of of all walks of life, of all dispositions, right? And so I will leave the, the, you, the, the listeners with that as a pretty profound lesson that I've learned having to enforce those rules. Um, and, uh, as a moderator of
1: the PDH.
4: uh, Yeah, I'm sure you have to deal with it all the time
3: too. And it's really just as simple as saying, Hey, um, you know, we, we run by these guidelines and, uh, we need you to do differently. And if you can't, then you'll have to This is a cool treehouse and we want everybody to be included, but you can't be in the treehouse if you aren't going to behave yourself. So um, that would be my biggest uh, recommendation to people. Um, Yeah. And that's the hardest to do.
0: Awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's confrontation. It's all the uncomfortable stuff, but it has to be done. That was was really well said. I think we're going to get on out of here we do want to thank everyone that tuned in this week as usual in the meantime if you need more pauper commander talk or have any questions about the format or or anything else really if you just want to chat you can always email the show at the pdh at gmail.com you can head on over to pdh's pdh home base's website or their discord you can hit me up on Twitter at popper underscore B. You can find Liam at, at PopperCommand. As always, you can find Dave at Dave the Alcadron all over the place. Discord, Reddit, Moxfield, wherever PDH is being talked about. And then Ryan, tell the listeners where they can find you.
3: Yeah. So uh you can find me at Papa Popper on Discord. In the PDH home base, in the competitive tryhards gaming community, which uh we may have links for these um, that we can provide people, and also mm-hmm. the the CDH Budget Brews server, uh, where people are where we have the deck database hosted for competitive Popper Commander. I also am in the nascent phase and process of starting my own YouTube channel, uh, as well as uh, you know making some of my own audio content as well. And you can find me on Excellent. Moxfield at Papa Popper as well, um, where my primers are stored.
0: Yeah. We're all, we're all pretty excited for your, your content coming soon. So that should be fun. Uh, did we miss anything else? Liam, Dave, you guys have anything you want to add?
3: Nope. He's got it all. Oh, one last thing. The (laughs) channel that is coming is going to be called the common connoisseurs. And, uh, so keep an eye out for it. We'll have updates soon because all of us are common We're connoisseurs of fine common cardboard. And, uh, uh, i thought we're you were talking
1: i thought you were calling me a very plain and regular
3: <laughs> that's right that's right yeah well thanks for having me on today it was really uh, super fun to chat with you all and and no yeah, problem i'll look forward to chatting with you in the future yeah it was our pleasure yeah come back as well as come um, back. we'll talk about bands nope, go ahead yes <laughs> yeah there yes. you go maybe maybe i'll come uh, back and it. i'll interview one of you guys we'll do a little uh yeah. remix yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> Heck yeah
0: All right. Well, as episode six of the PDH pod comes to a close, I want to thank MTG Brad for letting us use their original music for the show. And one last thanks to big Papa popper for coming on board, letting us chat with him, run his, talk his ears off for a couple hours. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, brew a deck and play some games and we'll see you in about a week. Peace. Cheers.
4: I brought Papa text at the party.